Welcome to A Teaspoon of Healing, where we explore the pathways to wellness and vibrant living. Listen to personal stories of healing and interviews with experts. It's time to open a doorway to healing in your life through positive changes. Here is your host, Dawn Damari. Hi, I'm Dawn Damari, and you're listening to another episode of A Teaspoon of Healing. Today's topic is PCOS, or polycystic ovarian syndrome, and why this condition is on the rise, the health benefits of fasting, and all about gut dysfunction. My guest is Dr. Felice Gersh. She's dual board certified in OBGYN and integrative medicine. She is also the author of the upcoming book called PCOS SOS. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Please consult a physician or other health professional before undertaking changes in lifestyle or wellness habits. The author claims no responsibility to any person or entity for any liability, loss, or damage caused or alleged to be caused directly or indirectly as a result of use, application, or interpretation of the information presented herein. And before we get into our interview, let's hear from one of our sponsors, Golf Tours. Hi, this is Goff, owner of Goff Tours, specializing in stand-up paddleboarding or surfing lessons. I even do snorkeling. You can reach me here. Orange County has what you're looking for. You can contact me via email at gofftours at gmail.com or mobile number is 949-338-5937, gofftours.com. Hi, I'm Don Damari, and you're listening to A Teaspoon of Healing. Today, my guest is Dr. Felice Gersh. She's dual board certified in OBGYN and integrative medicine. Hi, Dr. Gersh. Oh, hi. So nice to join you here today. Thank you so much for joining me on A Teaspoon of Healing. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I just love the topic that we're going to be talking about. And uh, have you told your audience what it's about yet? Well, today we're going to be talking about a few things. PCOS and why it's on the rise. We're going to be talking also about the health benefits of fasting and intermittent fasting, who should do it, who shouldn't do it, and and a little bit about gut dysfunction. Well, that is going to be great. And they're all, of course, interrelated, like everything in the body is. You've been a physician for how many years? I've been in private practice since the 1980s, so a few decades. I've seen it all. And I've seen the transition from being a firm believer that everything can be solved with either a pill or a procedure to now knowing, of course, after failed attempts at trying to fix things with pills, what we call pill to the ill, that we have to look for other ways to help people to maintain optimal health. And that's what's so wonderful about understanding the gut. That's a whole brand new world that there's a civilization within us called the gut microbiome that we had no clue existed until rather recently that has such an important impact on our health. And then, of course, that we have to sort of grasp and, and harness our innate mechanisms for healing using different types of eating regimens, fasting, intermittent fasting, and so forth. And because we haven't paid attention to any of these things, not even understanding the importance, conditions like polycystic ovary syndrome, PCOS, have just astronomically increased in our in prevalence, not just in the U.S., but around the world. And so PCOS... Maybe describe what that is for listeners who don't know. It's polycystic ovarian syndrome. Right. So 
PCOS, and there are people trying to change the name because people don't really grasp the full significance when they hear that, that it's really a multi-organ total body condition involving inflammation. So it's the most common endocrine disorder of reproductive aged women. And in reality, it probably starts in childhood. It's usually not recognized until after the onset of puberty, but it, and it really continues after menopause. But some of the manifestations like the high levels of androgens kind of become suppressed after menopause and the metabolic dysfunctions are what predominates. So it's a condition in which there's chronic low-grade inflammation. There We now know that there's gut dysbiosis where the, the microbiome of the gut is disorganized. It's abnormal in its diversity and its composition. And because of that, there's also this innate inflammation that I mentioned. We now know that the endocrine system is really dysfunctional, that the receptors for various hormones, including estrogen and also probably progesterone and melatonin and testosterone, are not functioning properly. And because of that, this amazing other part of human life called the circadian rhythm is actually off the beat. So we now know that circadian rhythm is key to health. Every organ has to be synchronized in its function. So women with PCOS are kind of living their entire lives as if they're in jet lag. And that, of course, we now know jet lag is associated with every bad thing you can imagine, increased cancer risk and mood problems, sleep problems, metabolic problems, weight problems. So basically every kind of situation that you can imagine is increased when you live with chronic jet lag. So we now have to tackle this most prevalent of all endocrine disorders, which is associated with massive problems with fertility, menstrual dysfunction. And because their hormones are dysregulated, their ovaries are trying to make more estrogen. And all estrogen comes from testosterone. But because their bodies are actually not able to make estrogen properly because of receptor problems and all these issues in the ovary itself, the body perceives we need more estrogen. So the brain keeps sending out the signals to make more testosterone, which is it's very good at. So we have this avalanche of production of testosterone. It's not properly converted to estrogen. The entire rhythm of the menstrual cycle is lost. So the women often present with irregular or absent menstrual periods, manifestations of excessive androgens like hirsutism, facial hair, like even like growing beards and mustaches, facial hair like a man, loss of hair like male pattern baldness, which we call androgenic alopecia, sometimes recalcitrant, impossible, just challenging cystic acne and fertility problems. There are high incidence of diabetes, prediabetes, hypertension, and so forth. So it's also associated with a lot of gut problems, irritable bowel syndrome, and a lot of mood problems and sleep problems, a lot of sleep apnea. So it's a very serious condition. You know, it's the most common cause of infertility, as I mentioned. And even when women do get pregnant, and sometimes through IVF and these, you know, sort of advanced methods to deal with infertility, the body can be tricked into getting pregnant. But when that happens and the body isn't really healthy and they still have all these ongoing issues, there's a high incidence of miscarriage and a very high incidence of pregnancy-related complications. And now we know that there may even be an increased risk for autism and for metabolic issues like diabetes and obesity in the offspring. So it's a huge issue. I mean, that's why it's, it's really one of the things that I focus on 
in my practice is because it's so important to get women healthy before they conceive. And I'll do everything to help them to have the families they want. And uh, so that's why, it's, it's, like I said, it's one of my major focuses. And the treatment for women with PCOS involves things like time-restricted eating, helping the gut microbiome to be restored, and also different types of fasting. So it actually incorporates all the things that you had mentioned that we'd be, we'd be chatting about. And of course, it's not only, all those things are not just applicable to women with PCOS, but to really anyone that has metabolic dysfunction. If we think of all the issues that women with PCOS are dealing with, increased risk for cancer, and I didn't mention they have higher rates of autoimmune disease, including things like autoimmune thyroid. They actually have higher rates of lupus. They also have higher rates of endometriosis and uterine fibroids. So all women that have those types of issues can also benefit from all these same types of uh, therapeutic approaches. And people with diabetes, who are not too advanced, people who have other metabolic dysfunctions like hypertension. So there's so much applicability because so many of the problems that women with PCOS are facing, of course, are faced by other people, just not necessarily all rolled up into one package like women with PCOS have to deal with. Wow. That's amazing. I had no idea that it was also related a lot to endometriosis, to autoimmune conditions, increased risk of cancer, and you're also an author. You have a book coming out at the end of this year about PCOS. So I'm assuming you're going to talk about it also in your book. Yes. And I talk extensively about it in my book. So anyone who has an interest in PCOS will probably be interested in, in maybe acquiring it. It will be available probably in a month on Amazon. And the main title is PCOS SOS. So that will help them to find it. And it has a little subtitle, but if they just know PCOS SOS and my name, they will easily find it. They can also go to my website um, at www.felicelgershmd.com and they can actually register. And as soon as it's available for pre-order, we can let them know. But I talk about it's very evidence-based. I'm very, very evidence-based as a doctor. I think I'm more scientific and evidence-based than most of the conventional doctors because one of the things that we, and I consider myself integrative, but also functional medicine. So functional medicine is where we look at not just looking at various therapies, incorporating things like mind-body medicine, meditation, guided imagery, acupuncture, herbal. So we don't, in functional medicine, we incorporate all of that with integrative, but also look at the scientific cellular basis for medical problems so that we can work, you know, really at the root cause. That's really where we want to deal with problems. As you know, if you're a patient uh, and everyone in some fashion either is a patient or has family members who have been patients, that the goal of conventional medicine is primarily to suppress symptoms and not really deal with the underlying medical issues that are causing those symptoms. And that is not at all what we do in functional medicine. That doesn't mean we don't care about symptoms, but simultaneously, while we try to alleviate and, and reduce the, the symptoms that are distressing people and, and reducing the quality of their lives, we want to really figure out why they're having those symptoms so we can truly help them to be healed. And that's one of the beautiful things about working with the gut microbiome and working with nutrition and different forms of fasting is that we can not just cover up symptoms, but we can really help to get to, that won't tell you the root cause, but we're really getting down to 
helping to heal the root cause. And of course, you know, it's like peeling the layers of the onion. You know, we keep going deeper and deeper and deeper into why somebody has a certain condition. We know, for example, with women with PCOS, that it's a combination of a genetic predisposition. There is a definite genetic kind of a, a role with PCOS. But even much more than that, it's probably in utero and at critical times of development, exposures to endocrine disruptors. The one that's been researched the most is bisphenol A, which I'm sure everyone has heard of. It's what's in plastic. That's why they say don't microwave in plastic and don't keep reusing plastic bottles and you know make sure you don't have um, plastic out in the sun. The problem is that a lot of plastic that says in the past or said BPA, they've replaced with many other chemicals like BPS and others that are actually as or more toxic. So really, we want to try to keep all of our patients and really everyone as far off of plastic as possible, because everyone in in our society now, if you test their blood, they will have BPA in it. And it's known to be an endocrine disruptor. And even very small amounts, we now know that small amounts in the mom, which the FDA has said are safe, actually they bioaccumulate in much higher amounts in the fetus. And that's when we are making receptors. So, you know, it's we only get one chance to make a baby right. The brain, the receptors, we don't get another chance. We don't, there's no, you know, let's redo, press the redo button. So if you have these chemical endocrine disruptors in the, the body of the, the fetus as it's developing, it can interfere with the very foundational development of the endocrine system. And sadly, that appears to be what's happened in a lot of women with PCOS. So we can't go back and do a redo, but we have ways, I call them the back doors, the back door ways to help reset the circadian clock, actually through things like time-restricted eating and fasting and helping the gut which the microbiome of the gut we now know, they have their own clocks. We, every living creature, including single-celled creatures like bacteria, have clocks. And everything is timed. We, we just It's such a whole new way of looking at the human body. And as you may have heard, but it's really a huge thing, the winners of the Nobel Prize in Medicine last year won for discovering the clock genes. It's such a big discovery. And we can help not just people with women with PCOS, but many, many other dysfunctions. And I, we can, if we have time, we can talk about how, you know, a lot of women with breast cancer, colon cancer patients, they really have an, an autoimmune patients. They have dysfunction of their circadian rhythm. And through using tools like time-restricted eating and and eating the right foods to help restore a healthy gut microbiome and then helping to feed them at the right time by eating at the right time. We can do tremendous amounts to reboot our immune systems and to help reboot the whole metabolic function of the body and and have a tremendous impact on almost all kinds of medical conditions. That's why it's not just helping one thing. That's the beauty of it. It's helping every system in the body to improve its status and really helps people to optimize their health. That's why I utilize all these things, not just in people who are already seriously ill, which of course we try to use it if it's still applicable, but to maintain and being proactive because isn't that always the best way to be proactive because it's so much harder to repair illness than to prevent it. So now fasting you mentioned fasting, and you also mentioned time-restricted eating. What's the difference between the two? 
Well, I'm so glad you asked, Dawn, because so many people are confused about that. I have patients come in all the time and they say, I'm on a fasting regimen, and I ask them what they're talking about, and they say, well, I eat dinner, and then I don't eat again until 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon. That's not what's called fasting. That is actually time-restricted eating. And, and these are you know, words, of course, but we might as well talk the same language or else it's going to be hard to communicate. Now, is it also, sorry, is it also intermittent fasting? Would that be, so maybe also the, the difference between these three terms, because there's so many of these terms. So, okay, if you take a 24 hours and you don't eat for periods of time during the 24 hours, for example, like I just said, which I actually don't agree with, and I'll tell you why, that you should not skip breakfast. So remember that we have circadian clocks. So it's not just that you fast for a number of hours. It's actually when you fast. So that's really important. But if you stop eating for certain periods of time during the 24-hour day, that's time-restricted eating. If you don't eat for one or two days, that's intermittent fasting. If you don't eat for three or more days, that would be periodic fasting. And once again, these are just made up words and expressions, of course, but it helps us to communicate better when we use the right words so that we're all on the same page. So, right. So we don't want to talk about fasting during a 24 hours. Now, I know some people use that, but that's not really the, the way we want to use it if we're going to be specific in terms of medical terminology. And then so intermittent fasting was really popularized with the 5-2. You probably, a lot of people have heard about that. That came out of one of the, a doctor in, in England who did some research and it was research on himself. He was an N of one, you know, he was his own guinea pig. And he was shocked when he went to his own doctor who told him, hey, by the way, you have diabetes. And he said, diabetes? I can't believe I have diabetes. And so he just did a complete turnaround. And he said, I, you know, I, I don't want to be on all these drugs. I mean, he was given like multiple prescriptions for pharmaceuticals. And he said, I don't want to be on all these drugs. I know that I'm a doctor. I know what these drugs do. I don't want all the side effects. So he decided, he experimented on himself, and he stopped eating completely for two days out of every seven days, two days a week, he stopped eating. They were not consecutive days. And he just picked like two you know, days sort of spaced out every three to four days, he would just not eat. And he ended up losing a very significant amount of weight. And he totally reversed his diabetes. And he wrote a book about it. And that really popularized the whole concept, you know, in terms of the, there'd been research. I mean, so there's actually been research for at least a couple of decades on the world of fasting, but he really brought it to the public and that became quite popular. And there's a lot of benefits from not eating for two days a week. There's a lot of problems too. Number one is implementation. Like how many people do you think are going to live their lives where two days out of every week, they simply stop eating? I mean, that's really hard for, com for compliance purposes, you know, because this is supposed to be more or less ongoing. Now, the other thing is, so the, because of that, some people modified it and they said you could eat up to, but not more than 500 calories a day. And so basically it became more like a very low calorie two day a week program. And, you know, if you cut calories, you're going to lose weight at some point, right? Because there is some, there is a lot more to losing weight than cutting calories. We know that is about when you eat, what you eat, but if you eventually if eventually you'll lose weight if you really don't have any calories coming in or almost none. And so that's what happens. So people are just using that.
but even that, you know, so it's a little bit more easy. It's a little easier for people to implement eating very low calorie two days a week than eating nothing two days a week, but you'll never get the same benefits that you get from a true periodic fast. So to have a true beneficial periodic fast in humans, and they did research in in mice where it's a little different because they're a lot smaller, but in humans to get the real benefits of a periodic fast, you would need to water fast, meaning you have nothing to eat whatsoever except water for four consecutive days, or you can do what I do, which is use the fasting mimicking diet, which I've done 13 times myself and use it in my practice. And that's what I recommend for my patients with PCOS and menopausal patients, metabolic syndrome patients, and so forth, where you get to eat for five days consecutively, but it's specially devised. It's brilliant. I call it, I've named it stealth food. It's food that flies under the radar of detection by the nutrient sensors in the body. So you get the benefit of eating and you get the benefit of fasting. Now, of course, it's not a ton of food because how much food can you eat and still have your body not recognize that you're eating, but it's adequate. You get a nut bar for breakfast and you get a soup for lunch and a different soup for dinner and you get like an energy drink to drink all day and teas. And you also get, I call them doodads. You get little extras depending on the day of the five days. You can get a little cocoa crisp or you get kale crackers or you get olives, which are all quite tasty. So it's very doable compared to just water fasting. And with water fasting, they've shown you might lose lean body mass, including neural tissue. Like who wants to lose neural tissue? The fasting mimicking diet, which became a commercialized product because USC, like many other universities, have an entrepreneurial spirit, right? And so if if their faculty are brilliant and they devise something brilliant, they'd like to turn it into a marketable product, which they did. They started a company. It's, it's, I think it's two years old. It's a very new company and it's named El Nutra and the product that they came up with, they named Prolon for promoting longevity because when they did the studies, the initial studies they did actually were in things like yeast and worms and then they worked their way up to mice. They substantially lived longer. So that's why they call it Prolon. So of course there is no longevity data on humans but what we have are markers. And this all came out of the Longevity Institute at USC. So it's very, you can't be more reputable. I mean, and Professor Walter Longo, who is the director, is world-renowned, and all of his research is published in the most prestigious journals that there are in, in the whole world of medicine and research. So it's extremely scientific and evidence-based. And so it's, it's really something we all need to consider for ourselves and family members that that you know need some kind of help. In terms of like the autoimmune world, what they did, they were working with another center in Germany, and they modified it to make it into a seven-day program instead of the five. And in mice, with when they did the mice version of it, because you can, there's actually a mice equivalent for multiple sclerosis, the mice model of multiple sclerosis. They actually completely reversed multiple sclerosis in mice and nothing like this has ever happened before. And then in humans, the humans with MS, they actually regrew myelin sheath, which is amazing that to actually start healing multiple sclerosis is amazing beyond belief. In terms of with type one diabetes, they actually regenerated 
beta cells in the pancreas. So for early, and now we have ways to detect, like I screen for type 1 diabetes, and we can actually detect it early before people get into late stage. That's the whole goal of you know integrative and functional medicine is to find disease when it's in the preclinical stages so you can actually reverse it. Once you have a late stage disease, we can help it, but we certainly can't reverse it. At least we not yet, not that we know of, but early stage disease, we can still reverse. So there's really hope that you could prevent. And I've actually seen some cases of this and we need more research. And it's actually, there's tons of research. I think they're involved in over 20 research studies right now using fasting protocols with the fasting mimicking diet, but we may be able to reverse type one diabetes. And so these are breakthroughs that we never dreamed of just a very, like two years ago, you don't have to go back very far. And so they're doing research on Alzheimer's because what happens when you do the prolon is, and this they've measured, that you increase brain-derived neurotrophic factor. That's a brain growth factor that actually can improve cognitive ability. And in fact, when I've done the prolon on day five, I feel super smart. I have to tell you, I mean, I feel like, you know, I could beat anyone at chess and I don't even play chess really. You know, I know how to move the pieces, but you know, you feel like you can really, you know, that your intellect has really gone up. So the way it kind of works is it's like you go up and then you like afterwards you drop down a little bit, but you keep moving up. So it's like you take, you know, five steps up and then you walk, you know, you go two steps down, but then you go back, do it again, you get another five steps up and then you go another two steps down. So it can, over time, there's the potential that it can make you smarter, you know, reduce your risk of dementia. They're doing studies. I mean, so a lot of this is still theoretical because it's really hard to, to do studies to show that you can prove that somebody doesn't get dementia, but we have a lot of markers. And in mice, by the way, when they've done the, the prolon equivalent in mice, guess what? The mice actually were smarter. This they could actually test, you know, because they do like maze, they do mazes, right? They, they see if, how the mice can get through the mazes and if they can remember, they became smarter mice. That's one of the reasons I always do it because, you know, let's be realistic. It doesn't matter what your body does if your brain's not there, right? So, I mean, you certainly want both to work and that's the beauty of this, you know, it helps with everything, but something that can lower your risk of cognitive decline. Almost everyone knows someone that had some form of dementia. That's a terrible thing. That's not living. That's just being alive. And the thing about doing this type of periodic fasting, it's all about, because nobody can prove the longevity part yet, but what we have been able to show, and that's where the hope is on what we call health span living every day of your life to the fullest. So you have a bribe, a vibrant life where you can do whatever you want. You're not disabled. You're not in pain. You're not with immobility. You know, you don't have dementia. I mean, that's the kind of life we all want. And that's what the promise is by doing the kind of periodic fasting that is offered and then eating the right food because nothing is a standalone. So you can't just do periodic fasting and then you stay up until three o'clock every morning, you drink like, you know, whatever, you know, you're constantly drinking alcohol, you eat nothing but processed food. So we need everything. And that's why we know that the body is designed a certain way. And that's because the way I think, we are not smart enough to outdo nature. So all we can hope for is to give the body what it's designed to have and let it do its own jobs. Like, the one thing that big pharma, the, the sort of failed 
promise of big pharma is that we humans can micromanage the human body. We can actually figure out how to alter enzyme systems and neurotransmitters and make it work better. The answer is every drug, every time we try to micromanage the body, we end up with such an array of potentially horrible side effects, right? But we should think of them in most cases as a bridge to health rather than something for chronic use because the body can't really work optimally when it's on a bunch of chemicals that are really alien to the body. The body needs to have proper sleep. The body needs to have real food. The body needs to eat, but not always, right? We evolved many millennia ago when food was not available. We had survived as a species and adapting to famines. Do you think that's one of the reasons why it works, that why the time-restricted eating, the periodic fasting, does it work because it mimics? Because I was wondering, yeah, why? Why is it that? Okay, so we're not supposed to be eating even all the time. We're, it's, we're still, there are paleolithic ancestors. Well, this is also part of the paleolithic and what the paleolithic ancestors did. They ate real food and they also went through periods of scarcity and, and actually some famine, may, you know, maybe not. Maybe we don't want to have famine right now, but periodic fasting, periodic fasting. Right. So there's what this is how you want to think about it. Yes. So in, in two parts, one, yes, we cannot be healthy if we never stop eating. And that means we can't eat all day long. You know how people snack all day long and this idea of grazing came? That is a terrible idea. Humans were not designed. Can you imagine when people used to say, and I know people are still saying this, it's so crazy when you think about it, right? You should eat every two hours to maintain your blood sugar. Uh, you think that ancient humans, we'd still be here on earth as humans if we had to eat every two hours to maintain our blood sugar? No, is, is there a reason? So is that the main reason? Is it because of how we, you know, how we evolved and that we're not that much different physiologically from our paleolithic ancestors? Or is there something else? Is there something going on with the endocrine system? Is there something else that gets disrupted when you're constantly eating or not fasting? Oh, when you're constantly eating, everything gets disrupted. Your circadian clock is disrupted. So that is so key. We do not need to eat. A healthy person never should be eating every two hours. Our bodies are self-regulating. You know, we immediately and seamlessly go from burning sugar, glucose, to burning fat. It just should be like no disconnect. You shouldn't go through, oh my God, I'm when somebody says, oh my God, if I don't eat, I'm going to die, you know right away that person is metabolically unhealthy because it should be seamless to go from burning sugar to burning fat. We shouldn't go through a, a period of feeling crazy. So the, the problem is that we have these clocks. So everything in our body is basically on a timer. Insulin is on a timer, estrogen, testosterone, and they come out at different times of the day. And these are not like alterable. This is in our DNA. We know that fully one third of all genes in our body are clock genes. And the fully 90%, even the ones that aren't clock genes are highly associated with clock genes. So everything in our body is timed. Now we have timers, we have clocks, as I mentioned, in our gut microbiome. These microbes that live in our gut actually have their own clocks and they communicate the time based on when they're fed. Because how does a microbe in your gut know what the heck time it is, right? They know what time it is based on regimented eating. So what happens is, the first thing in the a human, if any human, if they have food, they're going to want to eat in the morning. So that's why skipping breakfast is a very bad idea. So you optimally, now this is not always doable, but in an optimal situation, you should eat your biggest meal for breakfast. 
And we even have studies in women with PCOS to show that in just one month, when they took a group of women with PCOS, women with PCOS tend to have high levels of insulin because they're insulin resistant. Okay, they have glucose dysregulation and they have high testosterone, which is associated with it as well. Because when you have high levels of insulin, it actually even further drives the production of testosterone. In just one month where they had the women eat two-thirds of their calories for the day for breakfast, one-third for lunch, and then a teeny, that leaves nothing, but they had a little teeny diet for dinner. In just one month, their insulin levels and their testosterone levels fell by 50%. That's how fast the body can adjust to proper timed eating, and there are no snacks. So if you eat, even if you modify it and you don't have your biggest meal for breakfast, but you do have a good breakfast and you stop snacking, I mean... The worst thing you can do is to continually snack. But if you feel for some reason you have to snack, what should you choose? Fat. Like what's fat? Like olives, some pecans or macadamia nuts or some avocado. Okay. You want to have fat because fat sort of flies under the radar of detection because humans never evolved to just eat fat. Okay. So that's not really, so that a little bit can fly under the radar. So, but if you eat at the same time every day and you don't snack, you will actually reset your gut microbiome's clocks. And then what they do is they feed the information through their metabolites called short-chain fatty acids. They actually go to the liver and they set the clocks of the liver. The liver is the primary metabolic organ of the body. And when you have dysregulation of the clocks of the liver, the liver goes into what's called uncontrolled gluconeogenesis, where the liver just spews out glucose and triglycerides, fats. The liver just just makes unrelenting amounts of sugar and fats, and that's where cholesterol is made. Most of the cholesterol in the body is made in the liver, so the liver starts spewing out cholesterol and triglycerides, which are fats and sugar, and these fats can't be used by the body. It's like not what the body needs. So it starts accumulating in organs and you get fatty liver, which is an epidemic now. You get fatty liver, you can get fatty heart. And that can lead to things like arrhythmias and heart failure. And you can get fatty skeletal muscle. So you get fatty muscle. And then the muscle, which is a very key metabolic organ. If you ever wonder like what organs in your body burn fat? It's muscle. So when you get fat deposits in your muscle, they don't even work properly. So you can see the downward spiral and it can all start with just chronic, poorly timed eating that you're chronically snacking and also late night eating. So you also completely dysregulate your gut microbiome and your liver. Now, the beauty of the periodic fasting or prolon is that when you stop eating, like what you would do with the, or the body perceives that you stopped eating for five days, like you do with prolon, or if you actually water fast for four days, it's like a reboot to the gut. It's like a gut rest and everything quiets down. The gut starts to repair itself. So you don't have what's called impaired gut barrier function or leaky gut that even creates more inflammation. So the gut has time to rest it's gut rest and it heals and the gut microbiome can sort of repopulate and it's like a reset to the clock. So, you know, how it's like, it's like everything's on pause mode, like a computer, you know, like, you, like nothing's working on your computer. I don't know why, but I was told you turn it off and then you turn it on. It's like a restart. It's like a reboot, you know, and I've done that with my, my iPhone too. And it's like a total reboot to your entire gut and your gut microbiome and your circadian clock. 
So when you travel and I notice, you know, besides all the other problems of jet lag, the lack of sleep, unable to sleep because of your circadian rhythms, it's the, the gut as well. You get bloated, you just don't feel good. So what does that do to your gut? It's terrible. They've actually done studies, if you can believe it, where they've actually done studies on gut microbiome. And they found that from the beginning to the end of a long plane trip, your gut microbiome actually changes just during the plane trip and not for the better. So this is what I do. Okay. Now, if I'm taking like a long trip, I completely fast for the 24 hours before the trip. Okay. And I actually try to stay awake for the 24 hours. If they've actually, they've shown that if you stay, now it's not always doable, but if you stay awake and you don't eat for the 24 hours before you take a long trip, like you're going to Europe, you know, I don't mean like across one time zone, but you're going like big, big time zone change. And then as soon as you get on the plane, you get into the time zone of where you're going to be and you start eating and sleeping and you don't snack and you've fasted. It's like a total reboot to your circadian clock and your gut and you actually can do far, far better. We know, for example, that for people who have severe mental illnesses, like even schizophrenia, bipolar, massive depression, that if you fast them for 24 hours and give them sleep deprivation for 24 hours, their brain works enormously better. Now, the problem is that this doesn't hold. So, you know, what are you going to do? So it's not a long-term cure, but they actually have tremendous improvement and you can actually relieve serious depression by doing sleep deprivation. Which you should think it'd be the opposite, but yeah. Yeah, but it's because we now know that depression is really a manifestation of neuroinflammation, which leads to circadian dysfunction because the master clock for the circadian rhythm is located in the hypothalamus. There are actually a whole group of neurons that sit atop the optic nerve, and there are actually receptors in the back of the eye whose sole purpose is to perceive light and then send that signal straight to the master clock that sits in what's called the suprachiasmatic nucleus that sits atop the optic nerve. That's how key it is. And one of the problems is that if you don't have proper hormones, for example, and it includes a lot of the different hormones, but the master is estrogen, but it also involves things like cortisol. Now, cortisol has a very clear circadian rhythm that a lot of people are aware of. Cortisol is highest in the morning, and then it's lowest at night. But it turns out that women in menopause and women with PCOS actually have flipped circadian rhythms of their cortisol. They've actually measured that. I'm not saying every single woman, but this has been found that they're flipped. So they have low levels of cortisol in the morning and high at night. So they can't fall asleep. Cortisol activates you. It makes you have energy. It's like the stress hormone. So if you, for example, ever heard of somebody who suddenly ran into a street to save someone after a car accident, they walked, they ran barefoot over a bed of broken glass and then they lifted a car, you know, and they pulled somebody out. And you say, like, they had superhuman strength. They didn't feel a thing. They ran across broken glass. It's because their cortisol was off the charts, okay? Cortisol gives you, like, temporary, like, superhuman, you know, it's nature's way so that, say, you're fighting, like, in ancient times. You're fighting a wild bear, you know? The problem right. is it's not really designed for long-term effect. And if your cortisol levels are always raised, then you're constantly in that state of... That's right. And we now know that if you have a lot of anxiety and stress and you have all that high cortisol, it actually changes your gut microbiome and it alters your circadian rhythm. So this is a huge problem. That's why 
you can't be healthy if you're constantly stressed. So we now we understand the mechanism that when you're constantly stressed, you actually put yourself into like perpetual jet lag. You're going to not sleep properly. You're going to have leaky gut and gut dysbiosis, circadian dysfunction, and you're going to put yourself at risk for increased cancer, diabetes, heart attacks, strokes. So we understand the mechanism. Stress really kills. That's why we can't just do one thing. That's why we have to work on stress and sleep and food. You know, we have to, we can't eat like the food that comes in plastic bags that has all these chemicals on it because that's not what our ancestors, right? And, and you said it perfectly. You said, you know, like do what our ancestors did, like the paleo living type of thing. If we, if we give our bodies what they're designed to have and we stop with chemicals, and phony food and and too much light. That's the other thing that disrupts our health. Yes, especially like, at night, they exactly. saying all the bodily lights, especially on our phones, our devices, even you know before electricity. So people, yeah, they had candles, they had things, but most people would get up at six a.m. and they'd go to bed at sundown because they had to work the farms or whatever they were doing. And we are not supposed to be kept up with these lights, and that's why people can't sleep. They're just saying you should use different kinds of lights, yellow lights on your phone as it gets closer to bedtime and and things like this. Especially it's that blue light, I think they were saying. I'm not sure if that's correct. Well, all light is a problem. Blue light is the worst because it suppresses our melatonin. And melatonin is not just about sleep, although it is about sleep. It's also one of the most potent non-storable. And melatonin is one of the most potent antioxidants in the body. And it comes out predominantly, of course, at night, because that's when our bodies are healing and rejuvenating. Our bodies can't get the job done to actually heal and reboot. Then the gut, that's why they sometimes call it the second brain. And the melatonin that's made in the gut is actually partially made by the gut microbes. And the melatonin can actually cause microbes to swarm and put out signals to other microbes. So it becomes having proper sleep and having proper melatonin is key to having a healthy gut, which we now know is key to having a healthy everything because it goes through the liver. And if the liver is dysregulated, forget it. Nothing is going to work right. So what do you do? So you're a nurse that works, you know, the night shift a couple nights a week, or you're a, you're a physician. So we live in a crazy world where something like one third of people now work at the wrong time of day in some fashion. So right. what I recommend, of course, if they're not going to like change careers and so forth, is to do timed eating and to do periodic right. fasting and to make sure that they actually, you know, do everything else that they can because they have, they're living with no reserve, right? Some people can get away right. with more than others. They can't get away with anything. So if they eat, no matter whether they're working the night shift or they're working the day shift, especially it's hard when they, when they flip and they work different things, different days, yes. to eat at the same time two major times of the day, like about 12, 13 hours apart. For example, have breakfast, or I don't care what you call it because the names of meals are irrelevant. I I think most food that they call breakfast food is crazy food, right? So you eat real Mm -hmm. food, whatever you want to eat, real food, good healthy food, lots of vegetables and, you know, a little bit of of animal, but not much and mostly plant proteins and eat at the same two times. Like your biggest meals are like seven and seven, 7 a.m., 7 p.m., or 6 a.m., 6 p.m., and keep those meals to the beat. And then try to have only one small snack in between that's predominantly fat. So you're stuck with two meals a day. That's just the way you just have to do it. But you're not restricting calories. You just restrict how many times a day you eat. And eating two meals a day is 
plenty as long as you get all your nutrients. But you can have like a little fatty snack in between, but predominantly eat two meals, but keep them about 12 hours apart and keep them on the time every time, every day, whether you're working or not working. That's the best way that you have to try to keep your circadian rhythm and your gut microbiome and your liver knowing what to do, because otherwise all your organs get completely, you know, discombobulated. You know, you can't have your Mm -hmm. pancreas and your liver working in different time zones. (laughs) And that's what you end up getting. It's crazy. And that's what I call the backdoor way to maintaining circadian health is to try to be consistent with the time of your eating, no matter what. Say, you know, I, I have to do this for my health. Don't bend the rules because guess what? Your life depends on it. It's not a joke. Yeah. It's real. It really is. Now, there are some people who can't benefit or shouldn't actually either do the time-restricted eating, fasting, intermittent fasting. Yes, there are people. Well, of course, number one that comes to my mind, but I'll tell all, the, all of them, is if you're pregnant, okay? If you're pregnant, all the rules are not you know, changed, you know, okay? So we don't okay. do like restricted eating for pregnancy. Likewise, okay. we don't, and you never do any kind of fasting of any kind when you're pregnant. That doesn't mean you should eat junk, of course. You know, you still want to do everything healthy, but we don't have you on any special time-restricted eating. That doesn't mean you have to eat all around the clock either, though, but we don't, we're not, we're not playing with any time-restricted eating or fasting of any sort when you're pregnant. The other is if you're young. I mean, children, as you know, they're eating all the time. They need it. Okay. So if you eat all the time, that is that keeps you in a state of proliferation. That's really important. Now, of course, we need to have mTOR. We need to have growth and proliferation, but we don't want it all the time because when you're an adult, if you're chronically in a state of growth and proliferation, that's a carcinogenic state. Just think of what cancer is. It's growth and proliferation uncontrolled. Now, children are supposed to be growing and proliferating because they're growing. So if you're under the age of 18, and some we even draw the line at 21, then we don't want to get involved with any kind of fasting of any sort. But once you're past puberty and you've completed your growth, you know, you're not growing anymore. You don't want to be in a constant state of proliferation anymore. Okay, you're done. You're not allowed to do that anymore. Diabetes and obesity and all these problems that are now so prevalent, autoimmune disease, are all interrelated. And it's all complex, but we got to start somewhere. So with the children, we need to help them so that they develop appropriately eat the right foods, go to bed, exercise, and turn the lights out. And for adults to get them on a a rigid, at least as reasonably rigid as we can manage in our crazy society where things are not very, you know, well organized, try to eat at the same time, try to stop eating, try to do some time restricted eating. We know that women who fast for at least, well, approximately 13 or so hours a night, they reduce their risk of breast cancer by 70%. Well, thank you so much. That was so much good information. And I'm sure all the listeners are going to benefit from this. Now, before I'm going to give your website out again and talk about your book, but you're also, you can also hear Dr. Hirsch on AM radio, Los Angeles AM radio. If you're in the Los Angeles area, KRLA 870, you have a segment and it's called a healthy perspective. And when can people hear that if they're in the LA area? Well, it's not going to be every single Sunday because it's usually dark on holidays. But other than that, it's pretty much every Sunday on Pacific time between 1045 and 11. And we talk about 
really interesting general health topics that affect both men and women. It's not geared to just women. It's geared to all ages and all genders. And we talk about important topics that affect okay. everyone. Okay, great. And again, your website is? It's fgershmd.com. And then they can and they can find out information all kinds about of your stuff. book as well. And if they like, they can follow me. I'm very active on Twitter. It's at Dr. D-R Felice, F-E-L-I-C-E, Gersh. So it's very G-E-R-S. Okay, so Twitter is the main one. You're well, using. no, I'm on okay. Instagram too. Okay. On Instagram, it's somehow got flipped. So it's Gersh Felice is my main Instagram. And I also have Facebooks, but you can you know easily find all of that if you just go into Facebook and you just put my name in. Perfect. Okay, well, thank you so much, Dr. Gersh. This was so informative. I actually learned a lot and going to be really thinking about how I'm eating and making sure that my clock is in, in shape. I really learned a lot about myself. Yes. All right. Well, thank you again. And I appreciate you being on A Teaspoon of Healing. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Teaspoon of Healing. If you have any questions for me or for my guest, visit my website, teaspoonofhealing.com. Click on contact, fill out the form, and we will get back to you. You can also listen to previous episodes there, read my blog, and download transcripts and show notes. Well, stay tuned as next podcast, we will have a special guest, and he is going to talk all about how he stays healthy doing his favorite sport. Thank you for listening to A Teaspoon of Healing with Dawn Damari, your home for wellness and vibrant living. For more resources on wellness and vibrant living, visit us online at teaspoonofhealing.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Please consult a physician or other health professional before undertaking changes in lifestyle or wellness habits. The author claims no responsibility to any person or entity for any liability, loss, or damage caused or alleged to be caused directly or indirectly as a result of use, application, or interpretation of the information presented herein. 